Al Jazeera podcast. Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas paid a visit on Wednesday to the heavily damaged Jenin refugee camp. He arrived there by helicopter, despite the relatively short distance from his office in Ramallah, to address residents who have just begun to rebuild after the worst Israeli military assault there in more than a decade. We came today to follow up on the rebuilding of the camp and the city, to bring it back to the way it used to be, and even better than before. We must use this to challenge everyone who is trying to defeat us, everyone who is trying to assault us. We will not allow anyone to assault us, and we will remain strong. The timing of Abbas's visit appeared linked to growing dissatisfaction with the Palestinian Authority that he leads. Last week, after burying those killed by Israeli soldiers, mourners expressed anger at the PA for failing to protect them. The PA has for years been walking a fine line between the occupier and occupied, even as the negotiations process that created the organization has collapsed. So could the PA change even if it wanted to? And what would replace it if it can't? I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Noor, let's start with an introduction, because many people will be very familiar with your name, longtime viewers and listeners of Al Jazeera. Um, Tell us how you'd like to be introduced. My name is Noor Oudi. I am... uh, Palestinian journalist at heart, if you will. I've worked for international media organizations for many years, including Al Jazeera. And then I moved on to consulting and training and uh, political analysis. And I continue to do that, uh, especially for non-Arabic speaking audiences around the world. And where am I catching you today? Where are you joining us from? I'm in Ramallah. The climate is uh, quite tense. And I think the estimate overall um, of observers and ordinary Palestinians is that, uh, unfortunately, with this Israeli government and with the political deadlock that we have, mm. the w- the scenes we've seen in Janine are just the beginning of a summer that promises uh, to be quite violent, unfortunately. So then let's let's talk about Janine. The Israeli military raided the Janine refugee camp using weapons there that it hasn't deployed in two decades. And in just two days, destroyed much of the Janine refugee camp. What stands out to you about this month's violence? What do you take from that operation? So two things stood out for me uh, about what happened in Janine. One is the flashback of when I was a journalist and I covered the Israeli invasion. In 2002, the invasion left much of the camp in ruins. The death toll was higher. But the one similarity was the message from the Israeli side. Israel says it's been successful in rooting out what it calls terror infrastructure hidden inside the Janine camp. The dehumanization of the residents of the camp, the international reaction to that invasion, asserting Israel's 
supposed right to defend itself against the people it occupies. The Biden State Department only had this to say in response, quote, we support Israel's security and right to defend its people against Hamas, Palestinian Islamic Jihad and other terrorist groups. While not really talking about the core problem, which remains that Palestinians are under occupation. The other thing that stood out for me is that the invasion or the incursion into the refugee camp of Jenin this year comes in the context of, of, of an overall picture of violence. So on the one hand, you see Israeli settlers raiding villages, torching fields, attacking homes, lighting them on fire, and businesses with the assistance and protection of the Israeli army. And then you see the that same army attacking Palestinian villages and towns as well. And when you zoom out, if you will, and look at that picture and look at the Israeli government managing all of that, it's difficult to escape the conclusion that all these actions are meant to intimidate an entire population, to drive them to the conclusion that they must surrender and acquiesce to uh, an occupation that keeps creeping, not just into their lives, but taking over their land and their property and their prospect of a normal life. Given all of that, people are, of course, angry at the Israelis and the Israeli occupation. But they're also unhappy with the Palestinian Authority. Can you explain why? Well, the Palestinian Authority um, is a government with very limited powers, right? And that's by design. When this authority was set up following the first agreement with Israel, the interim agreements that were supposed to conclude with the final agreement that ends the occupation. But so this government can only access less than 20% of the West Bank. The rest is controlled by Israel. It is now broke. It cannot pay its civil servants. It hasn't been able to, to pay its civil servants for about two years of full salary. It has very limited control over the Janine camp and other areas. And it cannot offer protection to the population that it's supposed to serve. So the anger is quite normal when you consider that Palestinians would want their government to be able to protect them, to be able to defend them. But that government, by design, by the wishes and the actions of donors as well, is unable and not allowed to do that and is, you know, quite determined to hold the line, if you will, to play by that playbook that was written some 30 years ago in the context of a peace process that no longer exists. As for the raid last week, those who were there in Janine recall it vividly. This is Muatassem, a 40-year-old father of six. They entered the area. They entered the houses of our neighbors and our house. They evicted the people from their homes and positioned their snipers. They arrested a lot of youth, and they used us as human shields in front of them. We saw this anger bubble up last week when mourners at the funeral possession for some of those killed in the Janine operation. Palestinian Authority officials were there, and we saw people yelling at them to leave the procession, to get out. Anger directed at them, and then later protests 
Did that surprise you at all? Had you seen things like that before? No, it didn't surprise me. And and this is not the first time it has happened. The Janine refugee camp is a place that's quite unique. On the one hand, it is home to a population that is um, amongst the poorest in the West Bank. But on the other, it's a place where both um, activism for armed resistance uh, uh, thrives and, and activism for peace as well. The uh, Janine refugee camp is home to the Freedom Theater, which was set up by an Israeli lady who was a peace activist and who wanted to give uh, kids of that camp a chance to express themselves and their aspirations for freedom and for return. And because of uh, the nuanced reality of that camp, we've seen residents there express their outrage before in 2002 and even on, on other occasions. It was very predictable, really. The Palestinian Authority is in a difficult position, and it's one that you must know well because you worked with the PA as government spokesperson to the Palestinian Authority, the first ever female government spokesperson. Did you ever feel caught in between the two sides explaining the position of the PA? What was that like for you? Well, I was, uh, you know, contracted as a as a specialist for 10 months um, before the government I represented resigned and I resigned as well. And at the time, it was really quite a different uh, dynamic. At that moment, there was still some confidence in what PA institutions do. It was the beginning of the downward spiral, really, that has lasted about 10 years where international pressure, international economic pressure, was choking the life out of the PA because Palestinians had chosen to elevate their status at the UN. If you agree, raise your hand. That's what Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas said before signing the Rome Statute and nearly 20 other international conventions to try and get membership at the International Criminal Court, which we did in 2014. And in response to that, the American administration at the time, many of its allies suspended financial assistance to the Palestinian people. Israel imposed financial sanctions on the PA. And so the government was struggling economically. So the situation was difficult because of those things, but it was different in the sense that the social contract hadn't broken down and the Israeli government in power at the time, while still pursuing settlement expansion and all sorts of destructive policies, was not in any way resembling the one that we have now with self-avowed fascists and, you know, convicted terrorists and people who deny that the Palestinian people exist as a nation. After the break, why that government still wants to work with the PA. I'm Charles Dance, your narrator for Hindsight, a dramatized podcast from Al Jazeera. In this season, we hear from some of history's most notable women, an unconventional and extraordinary artist. Me? I am Frida Kahlo. A communist revolutionary. Everyone in China knew my face. You've heard of them. Now it's time you hear from them. Hindsight. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
Noor, earlier this week, Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu's office said that Israel would take steps to prevent the collapse of the PA. He didn't get into (laughs) specifics. It almost makes it sound as though Israeli politicians are more invested in propping up or keeping up the PA than many Palestinians. (laughs) You chuckled there. What do you make of that statement? I think it's farcical because... uh, A, Netanyahu has no interest in protecting the PA, and B, what he said, which wasn't as widely reported, was that these supposed measures uh, would come into place if the Palestinians do not continue with their steps at the international level to achieve accountability, Mm. namely going to the International Court of Justice this month, later on this month, to seek an advisory opinion on the very legality of Israel's presence in the West Bank and Gaza. 87 votes in favor of requesting the International Court of Justice's opinion on Israel's occupation of the Palestinian territories. So, you know, conditioning steps that Israel should be doing as an occupying power that has obligations under international law to Palestinians not doing what, you know, what makes sense, which is for them to seek accountability. It's just, it's laughable. It's not that this government is rebelling, but it's doing the, at a minimum, what it needs to do to provide for its people, even though it can't defend them. And even that is not acceptable to the Netanyahu government. I want to pick up on on that part. Even though it can't defend them, because I'd love if you could explain to our listeners that The international community expects the PA to cooperate with Israel. It has these security cooperation agreements. But if the PA tried to say stop this latest Israeli incursion into Jenin by force, it wouldn't have been able to. Can you walk me through that delicate balance there? Right. And to bring it maybe closer uh, home to to, uh, your listeners, I would compare it with the following. Imagine if we uh, heard President Biden today come out in a speech and say, we expect the Ukrainian president and his government to cooperate to ensure the protection of Russian forces operating in Ukrainian territory. Mm. Okay, that's exactly what is expected of the PA, to cooperate with the Israeli army to ensure the protection of the occupation army operating illegally inside occupied Palestinian territory, that relationship that makes absolutely no sense has been the the way things operate since the establishment of the PA. And every time the Palestinian leadership tried to deviate from that or to completely depart from that, as we saw with the late Palestinian President Yasser Arafat, the consequences were deadly for the Palestinian Authority. It it got decimated. Its headquarters and its buildings were leveled to the ground by Israeli airstrikes. Its security officers were rounded up in mass and imprisoned, some for long years, by Israel. And basically, everything fell apart. So the PA is not exactly free to completely change the equation. How has the Palestinian Authority responded to Israel's statements? And and more importantly, how have they responded to criticisms from Palestinians? 
The PA has officially rejected the statements made by the Netanyahu government. There will be a suspension of all meetings and calls with the Israeli side. We will suspend all security coordination with Israel. I've seen statements affirming that the Palestinian side will continue to go on to the International Court of Justice towards the end of July and will continue to seek accountability. Now, responding to the Palestinian criticism or outcries is more nuanced and it's not so much done in straightforward statements because there is a division that is happening, because there are rival factions in the Palestinian political system, because of also the undeclared battle for succession. The succession Noor's referring to is for the presidency of the PA. There hasn't been an election in 17 years, so I asked her about it. Mahmoud Abbas has been the leader of the PA since 2005. He's now 87 years old. What and who will succeed him? <laughs> that is a question I don't think anybody can answer at this moment. There's a quite a crowded pool of hopefuls, but I don't think that it is clear whether their aspirations are realistic or not. But I think the real question that we need to answer is, does it make any sense for any Palestinian figure to be hoping to succeed uh, Mahmoud Abbas without elections? Anybody who does not come as a Palestinian leader through the will of this people will have a very hard time maintaining control over a population that has been in perpetual rebellion against injustice for over 100 years. So Abbas visited Janine for the first time in years this week after the attack. Now, if you're not familiar with the Israeli occupation and the Palestinian cause and the Palestinian situation, this will seem quite surprising. (laughs) Why hasn't he been? Why has it taken years? Well, you know, Mahmoud Abbas is not known to be someone who appeals to the public. So that's not his public persona. He hasn't visited Jenin in about 11 years. But to put it in context, uh, leaving Ramallah and going to any Palestinian city would require coordination with the Israelis in order for his convoy to move from Ramallah in the middle of the West Bank to Janine in its northern edge. But really, you know, Mahmoud Abbas doesn't, it's it's not one of his habits to visit Palestinian cities, to speak to the people, to interact with them as a popular leader would do. It's, it's a huge departure from his predecessor, Yasser Arafat, who was a man of the people who would go everywhere and be everywhere and receive anyone, uh, etc. So this visit did come as a surprise, I think, to a lot of us. I just don't think that it's, um, I think it's too little too late. Mm. Finally, Noor, I wanted to ask you about the current escalation of violence in the West Bank. It's the worst it's been in 15 years. I've seen headlines that posit that this might be a third intifada. Are we witnessing a third intifada? Is that something that Palestinians talk about in that way? Well... I I don't like those labels, uh, personally. I think 
It's important to remember that the Palestinians have been resisting and revolting against foreign domination long before the word Intifada came into play. So we've been doing that for, like I said before, about a hundred years or so against the British and before that against the Ottomans and, and against the Israeli occupation. Whatever is happening right now, and I'm not sure we can label it anything, is uh, a period where there is a surge in defiance of the occupation, whether through popular resistance or armed resistance. But the fundamental difference between what is happening now and what has happened throughout the decades before that is that this is happening in the context of Palestinian political division. There is no political leadership to what is happening. There is no political vision to where this resistance would go. And I think that in many ways jeopardizes the sacrifices that ordinary Palestinians are making. And, you know, where do Palestinians go from here? The end goal is not to continue clashing with the Israelis. The end goal is to get rid of Israeli occupation, to have a free Palestine where Palestinians can exercise free will. Without a healthy political scene, or, or policy, it's very difficult to see that materializing. And that, for me as an observer, worries me the most. And that's The Take. We'll be back tomorrow. This episode was produced by David Enders with Chloe K. Lee, Zaina Buzzer, Sonia Bagat, Veronisa Campana, Miranda Lynn, Ashish Malhotra, Khalid Sultan, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Alexandra Locke is The Take's executive producer, and Nay Alvarez is Al Jazeera's head of audio.